0: Praise the Lord, Amen. What a great, great place to be on Sunday morning, Amen. I want to say thank you to our young people. If you went on the mission trip this week, and uh, adults and youth, would you just stand? Where I know some of them are in children's church, but just stand. These guys gave up time this week to go help, and uh, I appreciate them. got a phone call about them being a great group. I said, are you sure we're talking about the right church? They said, yes. (laughs) We're in uh, John chapter 18 this morning. We've been preaching and going to look at some characters as we lead up to Easter. And I really thought we'd probably look at Judas this morning. I started studying last Sunday night. By Tuesday, I took a Xanax to try to get over it. Uh, I'm going to have to come up with a better sermon on Judas and what I've got so far. So we're going to switch gears and hit another character of Easter, and that's Malchus. Uh, and uh, we'll go in that direction this morning in John chapter 18 and then Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll mostly be. And I'll not read it because it's a long text. You just kind of follow along with me. But uh, literally, the, the, the job of Malchus, he was a probably a Roman soldier. We don't know that. He was of the chief. High priest, he was a slave. We know that there were probably some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire during this time, and uh, probably the uh, Caiaphas had had said, "Look, you go and make sure that we get this man Jesus." The Bible says in verse two, "Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted there with his disciples." And Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, come there with lanterns and torches and weapons. The uh, multitude, there were other people there in the garden. Uh, Mark talks about a man that was there following the the idea uh, of what was going on. And he ended up stripping naked and running off and trying to get away from him. But they caught him there. Uh, So the high priest, some of his own servants, Malchus being one of them there, and verse 26 of John 18 said, One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Now he is he's there, uh you remember the story they're in the upper room jesus is telling them what's going to happen he takes his disciples they walk over to the garden of gethsemane and uh, he says the disciples you stay here and pray peter james and john you come go with me we're going to go a little further and he said guys y'all pray and then he left them in one spot went on a little further he came back one time they were asleep he came back second time they were asleep he came back the third time, and he just literally said, y'all just sleep on. And I think probably somewhere in that mix is where Malchus and all of these guys come, and they say, uh, Jesus asked him who y'all looking for? And he said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I'm he. Bible says they backed up. I mean, it, it literally just the fact uh, that, that Jesus said, I'm, I'm he, uh, literally just caused them to back up. Understand this, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane was not a weakness on the part of Jesus. At any given time, he could have called any angels. At any given time, he could have walked out of that garden any way he'd have wanted to walk out of that garden. So Malchus is here, and uh, I think what's happening, now now I can't prove this, we don't know this, but I'm just kind of using a little sanctified imagination that probably Peter's still about half asleep. You know how you are when you're half asleep? And here's a band here to get Jesus. And Peter just jumps up. And in the middle of it draws his sword. And, and I'm not talking about a long sword. He probably had a fisherman's sword. We praise God he was a better fisherman than he was a swordsman. Uh, because I think he was aiming for his throat. And instead got his ear. And then you know the rest of the story. Jesus reached down he rebuked Peter and reached down. Picked up the ear. Put it on, on the guy. And I can't help but think. If I'd have been Malchus. And I would have come saying, we're going to get Jesus. I mean, Jesus was on the hit list. Everybody knew that. Could I tell you this morning, if you'll stand up for Jesus, you'll get on a hit list. The reason more of us are not on a hit list is we've tried to conform to this world. He said, be ye transformed. Not conformed, but be ye transformed. So, uh, Malchus here is, is there and... They, 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 they say, here we are, we're going to take him back, and they take uh, Jesus out. Uh, we have no real insight on a whole lot of this stuff, other than, than the Word of God just gives us an idea of what happens here. And uh, the moment that Judas kissed the Lord, that's immediately when Malchus went for him to probably try to get him, and that's when Peter cut his, his uh, ear off, and then Jesus put it back on. Now, here's what I found. In studying characters. That no matter who you study. The main character is always Jesus. I mean I, I, I've tried to come up with a sermon on Malchus. And emphasize him. And that's, that's about the size of it. Uh, it always comes back to Jesus. And so I, I want to just. We know what's happened here. The skirmish has taken over. And, and I would have to say. That if I would have been there. Malchus and I would have said, I'm coming, and you're on my hit list, and I'm going to take you back, and we're going to crucify you. I'm sold out for what I believe. And somebody cut my ear off. Now, listen, when somebody cuts your ear off, Malchus is not standing there saying, well, my goodness, my ear is bleeding. I, I think there's a wolf. I mean, I think somebody's doing a little hollering. They're doing a little shouting. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of confusion going on. I would have to say probably if I went there to crucify Jesus, I'd have to have a little change of mind probably. I'd have thought, you know what? Maybe we're going for the wrong person because Jesus just picked my ear up and healed me instantly. Whoa, maybe we ought ought to readjust this. Now, I want to hit this thing from an angle of what Jesus did and his reactions uh, the older I get, the more I believe that God might be more concerned with our reaction instead of our action. So, I mean, you go to the doctor, and anybody can pick your leg up and kick it around like that. I mean, most people can, unless you got something wrong with you. But that doctor will take a little old hammer, and he'll tap that thing. and See, he's more interested in the reaction than he is the action. And see, the action is not what makes our character. Our character is already made. The reaction shows what kind of character we have. It's already there. So I want to look at how Jesus reacts to a friend and then how he reacts to the enemy. Mm, Because Malchus is the enemy. A friend and then the enemy. Now, Peter gets where he is by several things. So let's look at some of the wrongs Peter did first of all. First of all, you see here in the Bible that Peter attacked the wrong person. He took off his sword and and whacked Malchus. Malchus is not the enemy. He's the wrong person. Don't you know it? that the devil loves it when we attack the wrong people? He's not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. People are not the enemy here. When you're attacking other people, you're attacking the wrong people. They're victims of the enemy. The real enemy has always been Satan. He always will be the enemy. So he attacks, first of all, the wrong person. We're in a spiritual battle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and the powers and spiritual wickedness in high places malchus is not an enemy here and then secondly he only not only had the wrong enemy he had the wrong weapon he done whooped out his sword well the bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but here he is with a carnal weapon and he's done whipped that thing out and done cut off an ear here's a man of god with a sword trying to do the work of god with the sword which is the wrong weapon cutting and slashing That's not the weapon that's going to win this world. Now, let me tell you, we're in a cosmic battle. The devil is alive and well. And everywhere I go and everything I read, people say, preachers, y'all be careful in the pulpit. You don't have any business addressing this. You just keep your nose in the Bible and don't worry about nothing else. Well, let me tell you, I'm 65 years old. I've stayed in trouble my whole life to keep from having to worry about getting in trouble. And I want to tell you right now, I'm not preaching politics, but I am telling you this. Those of you who would sit here and watch our country go down the tube with a bunch of socialist young people who've been trained in socialist humanism colleges. And I want to tell you something. Now listen to me. Socialism and communism... Or a way of life. You don't whip a way of life with swords and guns and ammunition and machine guns and all of that. We've got to prove to our younger people that there's a better way of life than socialism. Now, some of them right now think it's wonderful because everything's free. Some of you old folk done not find out who's paying for it. And we've done figured out there's not many free things. Go look at some countries where everything's free. It's a mess. There's nobody trying to get on their walls to get in. So if socialism and communism is a way of life, and we can't defeat it with guns and with ammunition and and warfare, how are we going to defeat it? You defeat a way of life by giving people an option of a better way of life. You say, well, what kind of better way of life? It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is what will defeat socialism. It'll defeat communism. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and you've been set free from your sin, it'll defeat it. He's got the wrong weapon, he's got the wrong enemy, and then he's got the wrong energy. He's working in the energy of the flesh. Now he ought to be pretty pumped up because he done slept three hours there in the garden, so he ought to be pretty fresh. So he's got energy to whip that sword out. But the problem is, it's not by flesh and carnal; it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. So when you're trying to do God's work in the human flesh, you've got the wrong energy. You're going to play out. But not only did he have the wrong weapon and the wrong enemy and the wrong energy, he had the wrong attitude. He's mad. He is mad. You don't whoop out a sword and cut somebody's ear off singing, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You're mad. He is mad here. And the Lord Jesus had already told him, Simon, I'm going to Jerusalem. Simon, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised again on the third day. Why does Simon get the wrong enemy and the wrong person and the wrong energy and the wrong weapon? How does he do that? Two things. Now, listen to me. He was arguing when he ought to have been listening. You ever deal with anybody like that? You're trying to talk to them, but they're already got in their mind what they're going to say next. They're arguing about what they're going to do next. They're not listening to a word you're saying. The whole time Jesus said, we're going up there, we're going to be crucified, we're going to be raised again, Peter's sitting there, nope, 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 not going to do it. Not on my watch. You're not going to do it, Lord. He's sitting there arguing with the king of kings. When he ought to, now the kids are out of here. He ought to shut up and listen. Lord, help us not to be arguing when we ought to be listening. The second thing he was doing, he was sleeping when he ought to have been praying. <clears throat> How many of y'all have done one plus one plus one this week? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. One minute, one lost person, one time a day. Well, we've got to start praying. He was sleeping. You'd expect him to get into trouble. Because the two things he needed most for the fight, the Word of God and the power of God, he didn't have either one of them because he was arguing instead of listening and he was sleeping instead of praying. Sometimes, People who don't receive the word and don't spend time in prayer, they just wake up and join in the battle. And I want to just be shooting straight with you this morning. The thing that's hurting Christianity more than anything else is fanatics, nuts in the religious field. I I didn't write this down, but I, I don't know who did it, but I like it. A fanatic is somebody who, having lost sight of his goal, doubles his speed. I mean, when you lose sight of what your goal really is, and then you double your speed, you just get nuts. And I'm telling you, we've got a a, a world full of people, even on talk radio, on Christian radio, people are running each other down and and judgmental and bad attitudes, and they want to just argue. And I want to tell you something, folks. Your tongue can be a verbal sword. You can kill folks with what you're saying. Well, what was Jesus' reaction to all of this? I love this. We're going to have to get Pentecost before this thing's over with here. <laughs> i just tell you. You know what his first reaction was? He covered his sin. Man, he done whacked off a guy's ear. Let, let, me, let me just tell you this. If Jesus had not covered the sin of Peter, There would have been four crosses on that day and not three. They'd have drug him out of there. But Jesus covered his sin. He reached down and picked up his ear and put it back on. Aren't you glad Jesus still covers sin today? He covered his sin. I don't think you understand that. I'm telling you, Peter understood it later on in 1 Peter 4, 8. He said, love covered the multitude of sin. I think he's talking about this, right? I don't think Peter ever forgot this. Lord, they are about to kill me that day, and you covered my sin. Wow, how many times could we say that? Well, we need to understand what it means. Let me just... Quit preaching and meddle just for a few minutes if I can. We need to understand what it means to cover the sins of a failure of a brother or sister. Instead of us gossiping about it, we ought to be covering it. See, gossips are people who love to uncover evil. Love covers. Gossip uncovers. Love covers. Of course, those folk always tell you, now, I mean, they're, they're mentally deficient is what it is. If you're here this morning and you're a gossip, you're mentally deficient. Because the first thing you're going to say is, I don't gossip. And then you start right on gossiping. Now, you call that anything you want to, I call it mentally deficient. You don't know what you're doing. If somebody will gossip to you, they'll gossip about you too. You remember when Noah made an Just a fool of himself, got drunk, laying out there naked. Old Ham came and saw it, ran to his brothers. Come see what daddy's done. You ain't going to believe it. And his brothers ran over there, and you remember what they did? They grabbed a blanket and covered him up. See, love covers, gossip uncovers. And the first thing Jesus did was he covered his sin. <laughs> and let me just tell you this too while I'm here. It's not a real compliment that somebody wants to unload their garbage on you all the time. That's not a compliment. You're, you're being a garbage dump is what you're doing. Well, I, I got. let me hit the second one. This is a good one. He not only covered his sin, he cleansed his sin. Isn't that what the Word of God says in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. (laughs) You say, how do you know he cleansed his sin? Well, Jesus did not mistake the moment for the man. You see, he, he covered his sin, and he cleansed his sin, and then there's another day coming where Peter gets to slay 3,000 with a sword. But it's not a carnal sword. It's a sword of the Word of God on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls are saved that day. You, you may be here this morning thinking, I can't, I'll never be able to be used again. I want to tell you, Jesus is in the covering business and he's in the cleansing business. And he can take you where you are and clean you up. Let me give you this last thing. I tell you, y- y'all are fortunate. This is the third time I preached this sermon. And it, it just got longer and longer. It's 18 pages of notes. And you're, you, you, I've got it fine-tuned now. Y- y'all are really fortunate. You're blessed. <laughs> he reacted to a friend that way. How does he react to an enemy? To someone who's against him. To someone who was, he's on their hit list. Hmm. Well, this man was a slave. And they had Jesus on on his hit list. And then he he tells us how to react. If if you go back to Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, I can read it. But Matthew chapter 5 is where the rest of this is at. He said, blessed are they which persecuteth, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, that's what's happening to Jesus here. He hadn't sinned. He hadn't robbed anybody. He hadn't stolen anything. He's being persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, the Lord speaks of persecution here, and He tells us that we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be persecuted for two reasons. Number one, we're going to be persecuted for the life that we live. That's what the scripture says. For his right, you see it right there in verse ten. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why in the world would people want to persecute you when you're living righteous? You'd think they want to slap you on the back or give you a certificate or, or bring you a place of honor, but they don't. They don't. You're going to be persecuted for the life that you live. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you live like the world and talk like the world and walk like the world, laugh like the world, and be like the world, you'll get along real fine with the world. You'll get along with them. But if you're going to live according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it's not if you're persecuted. It's going to be when you're persecuted. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jesus said this in John 15, 19. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own, but I've chosen you out of the world. Are you listening? He's chosen us out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. The world despises those who have come out and those who are not like it. You see, this morning, we're different from those who are not in the Lord. We we walk in, in light. They walk in darkness. We're alive in the Spirit. They're dead in sins. We live by faith. They live by sight. We understand them. Hey, they don't understand us. We understand them because we used to be like them. And then Jesus saved us. And so now we're living in the light. And I want to tell you something, friend. We're going to be rubbing them the wrong way. You remember Jesus said, uh, look at the two gates. There's a broad gate that leadeth to destruction. Many there be that take that. And then there's a narrow gate. And, and almost every sermon I've ever preached or ever heard, here was a broad, you had a gate, you could get in this broad way, and vroom, everybody's headed that way. And then you had a little narrow gate over here that you could get into this narrow gate, and then boom, everybody's headed that way. I don't believe that's the way it is. I think there's a broad gate gate and I think right in the middle of that broad gate is a little old narrow gate and if you enter in this narrow gate you're going to be facing the world the whole time coming at you it's not just a narrow path that you go we're going to fight the world the entire time we're in that narrow path that, that's what the word of God says <clears throat> well the second reason not only the life we live But it's the Lord that we love. Now, he he said in verse 11 of Matthew 5, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, for the sake of Jesus. You put those things together, the life we live and the Lord we love, and you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. Now, you can talk about God all day. Everybody loves God. Hallelujah. Those of us who love Jehovah, we love Jehovah God. Those who love Allah, love Allah God. Those who love Muhammad, love Muhammad God. I mean, we just love God. Hallelujah. Everybody love God. We're going to have a picnic. Everybody's going to join hands. We love God. But you start talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. You're going to get in trouble. You're headed for a bruising. You're going to get in trouble. For my sake, Jesus says. Now listen to what John chapter 15 again says in verse 20. Remember the word I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. The the servant, that's me. The Lord, that's Jesus. If they have persecuted me, he said, they'll persecute you. He didn't say they might persecute you. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So if you're a child of God, let me tell you, it's not if you're going to be persecuted, it's going to be when you're going to be persecuted. Let's, just be honest. It hadn't cost us anything to serve Christ here in America. Some of y'all whining about how, oh, so, there's so much. Oh, we just got to. It, it hadn't cost you anything. Nobody's whipped the daylights out of you because you love Jesus. Not yet. He said, if they have kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they'll do unto you for my name's sake, because they know you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. Nothing glorifies the Lord more than his servant suffering for Jesus. And he said, now listen, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or a busybody. Got any busybodies here? I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you got in somebody's business and they put a fist at the end of your suffering. That's what happened to you. That's all. That's, that's what he's talking about here. You stick your nose there and somebody's going to end up with a fist on the end of it. He said, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on his behalf. Now, what do we do? What did Jesus do? Here, here, here comes this band of people, and they're here to take him out. And he knows he's on the hit list. How did he react? <clears throat> well, number one, he began to act like he reigned in life. That's what the scripture says. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are they which persecute persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, look at it. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I live in a kingdom. I'm a kingdom man. Somebody's not a kingdom man, he comes against me. And he accuses me and he abuses me, misuses me, hurts me. And if I say I'm going to get even, what do I do? I have to leave my throne up here as a kingdom man and come down here and get in the carnal flesh to get even with him. Why do we want to leave the throne that God's put us on to come down to fight with carnal man? I mentioned again, Jesus was in complete control of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nobody did anything that he did not allow them to do. It wasn't weakness. It was unbelievable power. You, you start thinking about what they did to Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's not, I can't speak for you. Let me just tell you, this preacher is not one that would have held back. I mean, there'd have been rockets flying and swords flying. I'm just telling you, we'd have tore that place up. I might have surrendered later on for the purpose of God, but I'd have tore that garden up. Not only do we reign, he said, I, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. This is what he said. He said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. <laughs> Why in the world do you want to rejoice when somebody's coming to take your life away from you? When they're coming to persecute you, why would you want to rejoice? Could I give you one reason? (laughs) You ought to thank God somebody saw enough Jesus in you to get mad. Because that don't happen very often. We're so much like the world. You ought to just stop and thank God if they're here to persecute you that somebody saw enough Jesus in you to get mad and want to persecute you. (laughs) You remember in Acts, they took those apostles and they beat them. And they said, now we're going to let you go. But here's the deal. You can't say anything else about Jesus. They didn't get a block down the road. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, they were still, ah, you, you do whatever you got to do. We know Jesus. And then he said, you can rejoice because of the company you're in. Huh? See, he said they persecuted the prophets that were before you. you, you, you when you're being persecuted, you're like Isaiah. You're like Jeremiah. You're like Elijah. <laughs> you, you're, you're mixed up. With the prophets. And then he says, "For great is your reward in heaven." The Bible says, "If I suffer with him, I'll also reign with him. So we're going to reign in life. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. And then the third thing, what Jesus did, he responded in love. He said in Matthew 5:43, you've heard it said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Isn't that what Jesus was doing when he picked up Malchus' ear and put it back on his head? He was loving his enemy. Bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that would despitefully use you and persecute you. That's exactly what the Lord did. Listen to me, folks. When we can begin to live like that, we can impact this world we're living in. The reason we're not impacting this world is because we're not living like this. Somebody going to do us in, we're going to do them in first. You may get one hit, but I guarantee you, I'm going to swing back. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Adoniram uh, Judson, I think the first American missionary, really a hero in my book. He was raised in a Christian family, and and uh, he actually was the first Christian to ever go to Burma. His his wife died, several of his children died. He left seven thousand Burmese believers, though. Because he stayed there. He was raised in a Christian home. but He went to college at Brown University. And he was lured off from the Christian faith by his roommate. His name was Jacob Ames. Ames was a philosopher. He rejected everything the Bible said. He didn't believe in God. Didn't believe in the blood of Jesus. It was all just mocking and, and just nothing. And, and so... Judson's faith was already kind of fragile, and before it was over with, he had convinced him to just turn against God and renounce God. Adoniram Judson was a valedictorian of Brown University. On his 20th birthday, August 9th, 1808, he announced he was no longer a Christian. He left Brown University for New York, promising theater career there, His family was heartbroken. Theater didn't work out really good. He became a traveling artist. He was in a town in New England. Went to a little inn to rent a room. Only one left in town. And the guy said, I've only got one room left. We've we've not rented it. There's a man dying next door to the room. And he's moaning and he's groaning and he's calling out and... That's the only room we got left. So Adoniram Judson rented that room. He stayed there all night listening to that man cry out, if there is a God, there's got to be a God. Seeing the flames of hell, all of this, all night long. Adoniram really kind of thought in the middle of the night, you know, maybe there is something to this God stuff. The next morning, he went downstairs downstairs as he was getting ready to go downstairs he, he kind of got a hold of himself and said you know isn't that silly there is no god there's nothing like that we we you know that's crazy for me to think that he went downstairs and to the inn owner he said did the guy he said yep he died died earlier this morning he's dead he said man he he was crying out he was in pain he was in misery he, he'd, he'd seen, he, know, he knew there was a God, and yet he wasn't prepared to meet God. And Adoniram Judson looked at the owner of the inn and he said, Does anybody know his name? He said, Oh, yeah, we know his name. He was a young man from around here. He went up to Brown University. His name was Jacob Ames. For four hours, Adoniram Judson just sat. He just backed up from where the innkeeper was and just sat trying to get a hold of himself. The man who had convinced him that there was no God and the Bible wasn't true, he found out that night it was. Adoniram Johnson came back to God, went to Berman, became a great missionary. All of the groans. I, I, the question I want to ask you today, has the gravity of Jesus sunk in your heart? Has, has what Jesus done for you, come on, man, get a grip. Has that, is that in your mind? Is that in your heart what Christ has already done? If it is, you you need to do something about it. I preached Wednesday night, but a couple of y'all wasn't here, so let me just repeat this story. <laughs> there was an old boy named George worked in a machine shop, just a simple-minded guy, but he loved God. He knew the Lord, and he'd sing those old songs when the roll is called up yonder. And there's a land that's fairer than day. And He would sweep, all he did was sweep all day long up the shavings of that machine shop. And one Friday afternoon, about 10 minutes to five, the guy said, George, you need to get ready. George said, I'm ready. He said, No, George, we're all cleaned up. We're ready when the clock strikes five. I mean, you think people are dead, you let that clock strike five. They're going to rise from the dead. He said, You're not ready. George said, I'm ready. No. Go ahead and clean up, quit working, quit. He just kept on sweeping. They kept saying, George, you need to get ready. George said, I'm ready. And he just stood and he took one hand and just unzipped his coveralls and stepped out of them. And he's ready to go. And George told him this. He said, it's like the Christian life. I stay ready to keep from having to get ready. Now, you listen to me. When that trumpet sounds and the Lord comes back, you're not going to have time to get ready. You better get ready now, and you better stay ready. Because I believe we could hear the shout, we could hear the trumpet at any given moment, just like that. Is he Lord of your life? Have you surrendered everything to him? Because I want to tell you, if you haven't, You may have convinced yourself you've surrendered enough to be saved, but I'm just telling you, the way that I interpret this book here, it's either all or nothing. It's all Jesus or not Jesus. Dear Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you today for the presence of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, you'd fall fresh on this place. I pray for us as grandparents and mamas and daddies, older brothers and older sisters, that God, you'd anoint us to teach our younger children the way of God and the way of the word, that we would surrender all. Our families would be ready. We would stay ready, looking for the day that you're going to come again for us. I pray for those in this place today who don't know you as their personal Savior. May today be their day of salvation. May they come just like they are and surrender everything to Jesus. I pray for those that have other decisions to make, may need a church home, may need to recommit their life, may need to just take a family together by the hand and just come and pray. May need to just say, Lord, I need to start covering up some sin with love and not uncovering it. Lord, whatever you want to do this morning, would you just... Take everything we've got. May we surrender it to you. In Jesus' precious, holy name, amen. Would you stand with me as Brother Aaron leads us in this altar.